had a slow awakening of the disaster that we are in right now as the women of America. <laughs> right. It really started when my son was younger and I had to leave the labor force in an unplanned way to take care of him. And I'm a complete dork. So I was sitting there looking at the trees, feeling lonely. And I, of course, called the U.S. Census because that is what you do. <laughs> and I said, how many women are there out there exactly like me? who are full-time parents. I wanted to know. I was feeling alone. I'm a numbers woman. I had to make the call. And they said something to me very important. They said, we don't know. We don't track unremunerated or unpaid labor. But try the Bureau of Labor Statistics and see what they say. So then I made a second phone call to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I'm like bouncing my baby on the shoulder. I'm like calling the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And I said, how many women are there who are full-time parents? They, too, said that they didn't know. But a study that I could find from the U.S. Census was that if you are a stay-at-home parent, a stay-at-home mom, you are seven times more likely to live in poverty. Now, there's this whole idea, this myth of a stay-at-home mom eating bonbons by a poolside that a lot of people carry. <laughs> so this sort of brought me into what is happening economically with women. Having a baby is a leading cause of poverty spells, one of them. You know, and we know that there is a major wage hit in many ways when you're in or out of the labor force. And I also learned it was like pulling on a string or like being Alice in Wonderland going down this like ridiculously bizarre experience. Or sometimes I think of myself as Nancy Drew for data, data <laughs> detective. But it was sort of like I kept finding out this more and more information and it turned out that yes, A, we have a problem. Women come in and out of the labor force renumerated and paid, and B, women are getting paid less for the same work. So it really started with that first phone call of me out in the woods. Hello, it's me out in the woods. What's going on? Right. <laughs> Have you ever heard a story from like your mother or your daughter about the pay gap? Yes. So this is my most exciting. So my mom was active in the women's movement, and she was spectacular. And I mostly thought that my mom, my grandma, my great-grandma, and everybody else had taken care of the situation. But... <laughs> They did not. Dang. Yeah, they did not. So I was upset about that. But recently, my daughter and I got to go to Olympia, Washington, and we got to testify for the Equal Pay Opportunity Act together. We got to testify for fair pay. She's 18. And it was a really big moment. And it was so fun because I got to say, please don't make me come back here with another generation of women on fair pay. I do not want to come back here with my future grandbabies and future future grandbabies. And uh, it actually moved out of committee. I don't think it was because of us, but I'm excited <laughs> that it moved out of committee. We are too. We are overjoyed. Yes. Yes. And we actually, we want to talk more about that specific piece of legislation a little bit later. But um, it's interesting to me that you first learned about the pay gap not because of a number on a paycheck that you received. It's It was one of those kind of unseen ways that the gap, I guess, shows up. So beyond the number on the paycheck, where else does that gender pay gap reveal itself? You know, a lot of companies and businesses have policies that you can't talk about your pay. So oftentimes people find out about it accidentally. I have one friend who went to school with her spouse, went to college, and then went to grad school with her spouse, and then had the equal resumes, the equal job experiences, and got recruited by the same company. And he was recruited in waking, making way more money than she was. And they knew because they were married. 
So there's a lot of stories of people who find out that a brother or, you know, somebody who is a significant other who either have the same experience or less, we hear about that a lot too, um, where the man is making significantly more than women. And so one of the things about the conversation right now that we're having is really encouraging people in our culture. We don't talk about money that often. You know, it's kind of seen as rude. But to encourage people to more often say, hey, I'm making this much, how much are you making? And really kind of look at comparing and then moving into policies like we're looking at in Washington State, the Equal Pay Opportunity Act, as well as at the federal level, the Fair Pay Act, that actually has a program and a structure for pay transparency, which also helps allow managers to see if they are having a series of accidental decisions <laughs> add up to be money out of women's paychecks. Because there isn't sort of a committee saying, let's pay women less over time. It's a lot of implicit bias and um, decisions that are small over time that literally add up to billions of dollars. And in Washington State alone, they did the math, and it's $18 billion a year that women are losing because of unfair pay. Mm. Holy crap, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I'd love a slice of that pie. Because every paycheck isn't looking at, like, oh, so he, Jim made a dollar. And then Jamina made 73 cents. It's more like Jim made, you know, $100,000 and Jamina made $73,000. And that's, that's a, you know, $27,000 that just she didn't earn because she's a woman. Right. Yes. Also, you hit another issue is that the wage gaps add up in such a big way. 90% of women in America make less than $74,000 a year. So oftentimes when we're talking about the wage hit and what's going on, we think about, you know, what's happening in rooms with glass ceilings. But only 10% of women are making enough money to even be in a room that has a glass ceiling that's visible on the horizon, you know, because those highly paid jobs are where those glass ceilings are. So we have a situation where two-thirds of minimum wage workers right now are women, and the fastest growing occupations, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, with whom I continue to have a deep relationship, <laughs> is uh, actually in direct care work and in domestic workers. That is the number one expected job growth area. And it's happening because we have a silver tsunami coming where our population is aging and we have a population where our economy is based on consumer spending. So, yeah, we have a situation, people. It's actually way more than an $18 billion situation. Right. Wow. I mean, if we talk to you in five years, those numbers could be significantly higher based on what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. 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 We absolutely need to make sure that we have fair pay for all workers. And I think one of the concerning things in particular about um, the situation that domestic workers are in right now is that domestic workers and migrant workers were left out of the Fair Labor Standards Act when that was originally passed. And so there have been some parts of the loophole closed, but not all. So the area of work that has the most rapid growth also is one of the areas that has the least amount of labor force protections. And so everybody who's listening should join the National Domestic Workers Alliance. What does the gender wage gap look like for tipped workers? This is another Alice in Wonderland moment, I feel like. But what does that look like for workers who who have to get tips in order to make a living? So... Tip work for women is extremely dangerous. We have right now a culture where sexual harassment is rampant. And with the hashtag MeToo movement bringing that forward, we hear more about it. But when we look at where it's happening to a large degree, it's not just in movie actresses. 
actually the restaurant industry and tip working areas is some of the places where the highest sexual harassment is happening. And so in that industry, um, it's very important to look at protections for restaurant workers and tip workers, particularly who are women. And we have to raise the wage, people. The federal minimum wage for tipped workers is $2.73. I'm going to just say that again. $2.73. So again, for people who are listening, everybody remember that, be aware of that, and tip the people who are serving you, right? This is how people are actually bringing home money, how people are paying for their children's shoes, how people are putting a roof over their heads. This is not like, oh, this is cute, this tip. This is actually base pay at this point. Nobody can live on $2.73. And so we have to address the fact when we talk about who is making minimum wage, knowing that two-thirds are women, the majority of those tip workers are also women making, again, I just have to say it because it's so outrageous, $2.73 an hour at the federal level. Many states have raised the wage, but at the federal level, it's two seventy-three. That's wild. Mm-hmm. I know a friend who did that in high school. I mean, sorry, in college, she did that kind of thing, and she was able to, you know, the wages come in in the sense of the tips, but it didn't seem to equal out. In the end, it felt like you're the patronage is paying for your all your bills and you have if based on your mood you might not make any money based on the customer's mood you might not make any money right yeah that's absolutely true i waited tables for years it's absolutely true yeah 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 also waited tables for years yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's not <laughs> it's one of the hardest jobs in the world um so yeah so i wanted to ask you about freelancers because i personally am a freelancer and so how does the pay gap play out for people who work for themselves that is one of the best questions in the world thank you because freelancing can be great, I'm going to say it first, but we have a situation in our country where we have moved out of social insurance programs and done a lot of the shifting of the cost of labor onto the worker instead of onto the business. So, for example, if you're freelancing, until the Affordable Care Act passed, it was very hard to have health care coverage because job-linked health care is a big deal. And actually, often job-linked health care is better. But also, it's hard to have access to paid family medical leave when a new baby arrives, when we don't have a national program for paid family medical leave like 177 other countries do. And we also don't have access to sick days like 165 countries also do as freelancers. And we also don't have access to a lot of the pay protections and other protections And those costs have actually shifted to us. So I had a moment where a couple years ago, I called somebody. I was like, I figured this out. All women should just be freelancers. We can demand an hourly wage and we can just do this. And somebody said to me, they said, do you have anybody paying into your retirement account? I was like, (laughs) nope. Do you have any of these other workplace protections? Nope. I was like, okay, this is a good short-term fix for me now. But as part of the women's movement, as part of closing the wage gap, and studies show that countries with those family economic security policies in place, access to paid family medical leave, affordable child care, sick days, health care, have lower wage gaps between moms and non-moms. That wage discrimination goes down. We need to have portable benefits that are not tied to the workplace and that cover Everyone, no matter your wage level, no matter if you're freelance, no matter if you're making $2 or $200 trillion. So we need all of that to happen. And I join you in being freelancer in my life at times. <laughs> I have been. <laughs> it's interesting. Yes. To say what do least. you think about it? Mm, I think I'm broke. 
<laughs> I think I don't have no money ever. And um, it's interesting to kind of like see what the universe sends my way and try to be on that like open flow of like what comes will come. I live with my mom and I'm, I enjoy it to today. Um, <laughs> I did not enjoy it for a very long time. But now that I have a baby, it's like a whole different story. Like having a grandma and a baby in the house at the same time is like having a, you know, uh, a holder for when you got to pee and a cup holder for when you got to eat. And a cup holder for when you got to do everything. So it's really nice that way. But I don't expect to be rich yet as a freelancer. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but we'll figure it out. Because I don't have a job. I'm joking. Women, to your point, are starting businesses at a rate of two to one to men. Absolutely. And that's happening because many of the workplaces don't meet our needs to be stellar and excel at work and at family. Right. Women can excel across so many different areas at the same time. Thank you very much. Right. But we need to have the right structure that allows us to achieve our excellence. Hmm. And so many women, again, at a rate of two to one, are starting their own businesses. And they're saying, you know, I'm going to go out on my own. We're going to do this. You know, we're going to start our own structures. Yeah. And that is working. Hmm. Kristen, I wanted to ask you about something you you brought up earlier when you when we first started talking about all of these numbers. Um, you made a point of saying that Latinx women make 54 cents to a man's dollar, um, that black women make 63 cents to a man's dollar. This is something that you and I have been talking about. Why is the dominant narrative about the gender wage gap two numbers only? And why do we talk about it as though it's just a single gap? As your numbers attest, I mean, it's multiple gaps. Well, I get in trouble for giving too many numbers. So maybe other people are getting in <laughs> you trouble. You won't get in too. too much trouble here. I swear. <laughs> people like numbers. Like yes. But I think, uh, it you just know. feels like a narrow view of a really Wide nuanced problem. problem. Nuanced is such a public radio word, but of, of a really like multifaceted, you know, thorny problem. As a nation, we're coming into a deeper understanding that gender justice, economic justice, and racial justice are really one and the same thing, and one never happens without the others. And those numbers are one of the fastest ways to make that argument. You don't even have to, you know, like argue and debate for five hours or six hours or something on it. But it has taken a while for people to really have that conversation, I won't lie. You know, it's sort of time obviously to have that conversation and I think sometimes because people have wanted to avoid that conversation they have avoided sharing the numbers <laughs> right <laughs> you know how do they benefit from not sharing the numbers well there's an issue of what's seen and what's not seen and what's studied and what's not studied so for example I gave the a very rough sort of overview of what's happening with Asian American women and Pacific Islander you might wonder why did Christian not say any numbers there those numbers are complicated. There needs to be a lot more research. So when you look at those numbers, some communities of Asian American women are actually making more than a dollar to a man's dollar. But Bangladeshi women are making like 43 cents to a white man's dollar. So it's covering such a giant uh, geography that the number itself isn't actually accurate to describe what's happening in all of those communities. So, you know, people like me will hold back on sharing it because I'm like, okay, now I'm going to have to tell you <laughs> about it for 500 years. So I think there's also a dawning awareness that we need to study more. Um, there was a great uh, research project that came out last year, the State of Black Women in America by the Institute for Women's Policy Research 
and National Domestic Workers Alliance. And um, it really looked into the numbers of what's going on. We need one of those also for Latina women. You know, we need right. to really we need to put more money into research. And it's hard to get money into research right now because people are like, well, does that research fit into a 140 character tweet? Because I'm not going to pay for it if it doesn't. And it doesn't. Right. Like these things are complicated. And so there's a lot of people, including me at Moms Rising and many other places that are pushing for more research to really look at what's happening in a deeper way, in an intersectional lens at the Women of America. So then we can break down those reports into 140 character tweets. <laughs> We're ready to be there for it. But we really need a deeper look. And so the top numbers reflect um, a deeper look that's been happening. And that's a good thing. Because when I started at Moms Rising in, um, about 10 years ago, people weren't looking that much at the mom wage gap. It was really hard to find that number. Now it's normal to find that number. Mm. Again, 71 cents to a man's dollar. Women of color experiencing compounded wage hits if you're a mom. So the numbers are just sort of percolating up and emerging as well as women call for them. <laughs> so having authored a book called The F Word When My Children Were Young, they were like, mom, what exactly is this feminism business? Is it the word I saw written on the slide at the playground? Because I am concerned. They didn't say the <laughs> I am concerned, but the eyeballs were like, is that the word that I see like written outside that we're supposed to like erase? I was like, no, it means equal play for boys and girls. You know, it doesn't mean more for anybody. It means equity and equality. And mm -hmm. so, yes, everybody should be on board for fighting for fair pay. Mm -hmm. All right. So what would a more intersectional summary of the pay gap look like? I actually, when I think of what it would look like, for me, it looks like a swarm of wasps with horrible stingers on them that are going to bite you. And everybody has to walk through the swarm. And some people get bitten more often than others, depending on their identities. And importantly, it's really hard to see if you're not getting stung what's happening to the people who are even standing right next to you. And so when we think about intersectional feminism and wage gaps and what's happening in the labor force, a large part of what needs to happen right now is to really embrace that we don't know. I don't know. You know, I learn something, a thousand things each day, and I also screw up a thousand times each day as well. You know, so embracing our failures of understanding and just knowing we have blinders on to what's happening with other people who could be right next to each us, right in the same room, right in the same job, right? Right. <laughs> and, you know, embracing those blinders and then really looking at how to take them off. I hope that everybody who's listening reads Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw who coined the term intersectionality. And um, anything she has said is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And she has a good conversation also about the blinder situation, too. Mm. Too good. I don't want to ask this question, but I'm going to ask this question. Are there any benefits to the gender pay gaps for women? Like, do they benefit women in any way? Zero. Or anybody. Well, they do benefit somebody. Who do they benefit? So one of the things that came to me that really was like, uh, oh my gosh, my heart stopped for a minute story. And we hear a lot of stories about the wage discrimination that's happening across our country at Moms Rising, sadly, every day, is this young woman, she was 26 years old, and she shared a story. She's a Moms Rising member. She said she was at an office party, and she was looking around, and she hadn't ever really taken in that it was mostly women working for a male 
boss. And she looked around and she was like, this is all women. And so she turned to her boss and she said, why do we have so many women here? Why aren't there more men working here? And he said, because I can pay them less. And then she wrote in, I was 26 years old and I was shocked. I didn't quite realize I was less valuable than a man. At which point I wanted to throw something across the room, right? Like that's just awful. Nobody is less valuable than a man. And in fact, studies show time after time, books and books of studies, because I'm a studies woman, so I find them, that when you have women in the labor force, women in decision-making areas, women in leadership, businesses make more money. And so there was a Pepperdine University study of Fortune 500 companies over 20 years, and they found the more women in leadership, the more money Fortune 500 companies make across all factors. Similarly with hedge funds, similarly in so many different areas. And so women are not less valuable than men. Anybody out there listening, not less valuable. (laughs) But some people think that, and you can see it in our paychecks. Are we more valuable? You know, I might some days actually argue that. There are some studies. Okay. Yeah, I have seen them. I'm ready. Uh Uh-huh. Particularly in different industries. So, for example, women legislators, only 19% of our Congress are women. Right. This is horrible. This is awful. We rank 93rd of all nations in terms of women's representation. We are not at the top of the pack. We are failing. We are getting like an F grade on women's representation. However, to your question of our women better studies <laughs> in this one also came out of Harvard, found that women pass more legislation, work more collaboratively and pass more policies that actually support our economy in the long run. Yes, that happened. So, you know. I'm just saying. Yeah. Let's leave that there. I wish everybody could see Jeannie's face because Jeannie's like, I'm I'm new this. I knew this all my life. I woke up as a baby and I said, I knew this. <laughs> well, you didn't use the word better. You're just stating facts. I did. I stated the facts. But there's another fact that's going on that bothers me. I have many things that bother me. Fortunately, I'm kind of usually a cheerful, bothered person. <laughs> but I'm also a persistent one. So the other thing that bothers me, just back to that 19% stat that only 19% of our U.S. Congress are women, is that if you look across our country, across all spheres across all sectors and you're thinking about equality and equity in the workplace women have yet to break through the 30 percent barrier in any place so we make up 51 percent of the population we make the majority of college degrees right now women do but if you look women are only three percent of fortune 500 executives women are only Less than 20% of media executives, Mm. women are in the background of cartoon movies. Females are less than 30% female, just the background of cartoon movies. You can look in every job sector and you can see this absence of women. And what has come to happen is that we, somehow in our collective mind, have decided that 30% is parity. Right? So people, when you look around, we are 20% short. (laughs) (laughs) 21%. Yeah, 21%. Do some calculating. Keep pushing. There's a whole movement of women behind you. But yeah, I mean, breaking through is hard. What specifically can we do to, to, to try and take some action at work if we suspect there's a pay gap? I say suspect because we're not supposed to talk about money, as you mentioned earlier. <laughs> yes. Well, first, people should go to their manager and say, let's make a chart. I love charts. 
Let's make a chart of job titles. You say it like it's so fun. It is fun. You can make it pretty colors. That's true. We have charts. You know, our colors are awesome. You know, <laughs> can maybe even be glow in the dark. We haven't done that yet. But you have to make a chart. You have a job title. You have the job responsibilities. And then you have the pay scale. That is so much fun. Anybody who's doing management probably will also have fun with that. And so you make your chart. And then you say, hey, how about you, management, form a committee to review said chart versus what we're actually paying people and make sure that people are in the right job categories for the responsibilities. So you can have misclassification of a person. Their job title might not match their job responsibilities. So people need to look and make sure that that's happening. And then people need to make sure that their job responsibility and titles match the pay scale for that area. So this isn't sort of a mean 